Hello and welcome to Sigma Sports Presents Matt Stevens Unplugged, the cycling podcast that's not afraid to talk at length about influencing mayoral decisions in rural Canadian towns. Now that might sound oddly specific, but that's perhaps because today I'm joined on the podcast by none other than Alison Jackson. Now, what can I tell you about Alison? Well, she's obviously Canadian, as I just mentioned, and she grew up on a bison farm. Now she rides for EF Education Tibco SVB. She won Paris-Roubaix early this year, and we talk all about that and what it meant not only to her and her teammates, but also to the nation of Canada. She enjoys a frozen pond and is particularly excited about the coming festive season. Find out why on this very podcast. We talk about van life and how she would often spend months at a time following the sunshine. What else? There's dancing, but you'll have to believe me about that one because you can't actually see us unless you head over to Sigma Sports Instagram, where there might be a reel of us doing exactly that. Yes, dancing on a podcast. And in the Hometown Quiz, we discuss the price of Bailey's Coffee at Tim Hortons, and we start a campaign to get a street named after Alison too. So grab your ice skates, strap on a helmet, and join me on some thin ice as I get schooled by a native Canadian on how to survive winters of minus 20 degrees, because this is the Alison Jackson episode. Podcast. Alison Jackson was born super competitive. Growing up on a bison farm in rural Canada, she dreamed of becoming an Olympian. The only question was which sport to dedicate herself to. Luckily for us fans, she chose cycling, and in Tokyo 2020, she received a late call to realise that dream. Now riding in the colours of EF Education Tibco SVB, she won the career-defining classic Paris-Roubaix in 2023. How will that win affect her going into next season? And what are her prospects at the 2024 Paris Olympics? And does she know the mayor of a million well enough to get a street named after her? There's only one way to find out. Check it out. Here we go. Well, the countdown has finished. That means that uh, we are, are good to go. Alison Jackson, thank you very much for coming on the pod. Yeah, thanks for having me. The first thing we do on Matt Stevens Unplugged um, is give people a sense of exactly where you are in the world. Now, I know where you are, but could you tell the other people who are listening where you are and also, Alison, what you can see immediately around you, i.e. the room that you're in, so people can really kind of just get comfy with us in their little pod space <laughs> sure um yeah i'm um back in my chosen home in canada uh so outside vancouver abbotsford um which it, it has usually been my winter base for training it's um not as cold as my hometown um mostly just a little bit of rain and immediately i'm staying with a friend right now i'm sitting right by the fruit bowl um, we got some bananas and a sweet potato and a lemon. Um, and then there's a little craft pile. Uh, we're making an advent calendar because it's coming up to Christmas. So this is a few craft pot, a little bit of a craft pot. Um, and then I get to look uh, into the kitchen. Um, and we've got a soda stream and a Vitamix and a cast iron pan. Nice. Is, those are the visuals. Okay, so uh, so that a few of those things have just. I want to take. I want to take those cues just briefly before we talk about you because I've got a really good soda stream anecdote. Now, 
I'm going to ask you first, Alison, have you ever tried to put milk in a soda stream? No. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Don't. Don't do it. Uh, I think it was when soda streams first came out in the mid-80s, me and my sister had one for Christmas and we we loved it. We used it all the time. Um, But we decided in in our wisdom as young teenagers to to think what would it be like if we put milk in a soda stream the idea being we thought we could create like a milkshake um anyway so we pumped it full of gas and somehow because of the way that milk and physics and 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 air pressure combine um it escaped through the tiniest of orifices and the tiniest of little gaps within the soda stream and, and the seal and just completely covered our kitchen in milk um it was one of the most amazing moments scientific experiments of my life so don't do it is what i'm trying to say well it sounds like a, it's a, a fun experiment quite an explosion no it would be better if i tell my nephews they should try it Definitely. <laughs> someone else to do the duty <laughs> and then we can say oh kids exactly exactly and also really interested in your fruit bowl so you've got it sounds like you've got fruit and veg in the same bowl that's quite i mean you've got like a, a i'm right a lemon a banana (laughs) and a sweet potato all in the same bowl. That's quite unusual. Hmm. (laughs) Could be. It's a good color combo. (laughs) It is. It is a good, it is a good color combo, but uh, so you, are you putting fruit and veg together in the same bowl? What's that all about? Uh, yeah, you know, um, we, we like to make sure everyone is getting along in this household. And uh, it it starts with the the fruitier members of the the house, and then it hopefully it translates to the the rest of us. Advent calendar, yeah, <laughs> and it clearly has. Who are, do you have? Is do we have a live studio? I mean, in Matt Stevens unplugged lane, we do. And uh, we'll, we'll actually we'll introduce him now. Niall, can you just get the live studio audience to give us a round of applause early on? Yeah, those guys are here. <laughs> So they're they're here, but we can't actually show them because that's not what they signed up for. But so you have you said you have a friend listening in. <laughs> no, I don't have a friend oh. listening in. I'm just I'm staying with a friend. Staying with a friend, okay? Because that would have yeah. been we've had that before. I mean, there's no rules against it. I just wanted to know <laughs> and know what we were we were up against today. So um, okay, and the other thing I wanted to mention as well uh, because you making an advent calendar. How far down the advent calendar route have you got? You've got a couple, we got like, I don't know, 10, 10 days or so before advent starts. Just describe what this advent calendar looks like. Because my wife a couple of years ago made an amazing advent calendar that we've still got and we use most years. So what does this look like? And does it contain fruit and veg? <laughs> um, it's a pretty small little box. Because uh, actually, um, I'm, I'm reusing an advent box that I got um, when I got a coffee advent calendar. So then okay. it's from a, a company in Vancouver, um, Revolver Coffee, that has the new, it's like a, a little bookshelf almost with little like very small drawers. Um, and so I'm repurposing it and then I'm going to fill it with my own things and then, uh, yeah, leave it for my roommate when I'm um, away for the winter. Oh, that's that's really... So what kind of stuff are you going to put in there? Is it uh, What are you thinking of? Have you got an idea or is it just going to be random stuff? I think it's going to be a lot of random and a lot of little inside jokes. So it's going gonna, it's gonna to be funny uh, and, and also delicious because I think... <laughs> 
It's good to have an advent calendar of chocolates. Oh, definitely. Advent calendar <laughs> chocolates are the best. I remember, yeah, yeah. We used to have a every year because most advents only go to the 24th, don't they? Not the 25th. So me and my sister had to rotate because generally on the 24th, there was a slightly bigger chocolate, wasn't there, uh, on the last one. Mm. So we used to fall out over the slightly bigger chocolate on the final day. So we, have, we had a little rotor going on. Mm. You had to share the advent calendar. Yeah. That's rough. Yeah, it was rough. It was tough times. It was the 1980s yeah. and things were different. But um, so what, what what's the off-season look like for you now? So I've seen you've been out and about on your bike. Are you back to full swing training? I know a lot of pros are. Some are just about to start. So where are you in your on or off-season campaign right now? Yeah, I mean, my season ended a little earlier this year than, than previous years. Um, so I was done kind of, yeah, I guess like middle of September um so then um yeah there was a lot of time that i could just have some fun bike riding um i took a couple weeks to just be the fun aunt and only play with my nieces and nephews uh and then yeah now kind of yeah back into the the swing of riding um and doing some gym and then also in canada it's the outdoor space is so nice for hiking, big or small hikes, or uh, we're not quite into the cross-country ski conditions uh, just yet up on the mountain. But um, yeah, I get to do like a little bit of swimming or just some other uh, activities. So what what do you primarily go back to Canada to have your winter? Is that where you feel more comfortable? Or have you mixed it up a little bit with Europe and stuff over, over the last few years? Yeah, mostly I have come back um to Canada or then if it got too cold then we would um drive south and used to live out of a van um for the winter um and then just go wherever the sun was going to be shining um but uh yeah and I I mean um I love Canada so much um riding in this area so lower mainland which is just um a little bit east of of Vancouver there's so many options for roads. Um, the cafes are great. Um, you're right close to the mountains um, that have snow on the top of them, Mount Baker and some other, um, yeah, Golden Years, all the, these mountains. It's just, it's gorgeous. So riding here and in the fall, it's a really long fall. The leaves are changing colors for a month or more. Um, so it's, it's beautiful. So I love coming here also spending time with friends spending time with friends that aren't in the cycling world um as well it's also just a good a good little break um yeah so usually yeah come back here spend a little time with family some friends kind of um reset on all all levels and then head back for whenever camp would be and uh our camp our team camp this year is in Girona, so that's my home in europe so once we get there, then I'll just stay a little longer until until Christmas holidays, and then I'll go back to my my bison ranch, the family farm, um, and it'll be probably minus twenty and lots of snow. So yeah, we got to figure out different ways of managing that when we're there for the winter. I mean, there's two ways I'd like to take this conversation now. The first the first one was the van because I've read a little bit about your experiences with your husband in your, in your van, your van life. Mm-hmm. And then there's the bison farm. Yeah. So I'll tell you what, as you mentioned it first, van life, What did, that looks looks amazing because you've obviously got so much space and you're clearly chasing the sun. When did that first mm-hmm. 
first come about? It just looks like a wonderful and really relaxed way of being. When when did you first decide, you, you and your fella, to do that? Yeah, well, that was something that, um, yeah, my partner then, we're not together oh, anymore, sorry, but right. he really, that's fine. He uh, really wanted to live out of a, a van or travel like to Alaska. And so we had mm. done this first trip um, where we drove all the way up to Alaska um, when it's like in the summer, like midnight sun, it's wow. super cool. Drove up to the Arctic ocean, took a dip in the Arctic ocean and then came back basically. Um, but like, it's a, we're both very like simple people, um, and liked being, you know, into the wild. And then it, it just really worked out, um, that basically we, in the, you know, the, during the year when we could, we'd work at my family farm or I would be out racing and he'd be working there. And then in the winter, it's pretty slow on the farm. And so we'll, yeah, um, we just wanted to explore and travel and I wanted to ride on new roads and also in warmer weather. And so, yeah, we took, we had a bunch of, and we tried every year, we had a different sort of vehicle that we would, um, try to do this in. So we had the first year, um, like a Toyota truck and then a rooftop tent, Okay. but it was like a canvas rooftop tent, which is so cool. You know, you climb up in it, like it's like your own adult tree house, but then, um, Pacific Northwest. So that's like down the Washington, Oregon coast is super wet. And we just got drowned out in this canvas tent that never got, that never dried out. <laughs> it was God. pretty rough, but, <laughs> um, or then you're riding in the rain and then you're coming back and you're just climbing into this tent with you know, no heater or things like that. So the next year we upgraded to like a, like a hard shell, um, rooftop tent, which was better. It, held up against the rain a little bit more. Um, but then if we were to travel down, so from Canada, there's many ways to get down to the warmer weather. And if you travel through Idaho, it's just snow and cold. So we figured that was too cold. So then we had a little Toyota um, right-hand drive van, diesel van that we had gotten and, and um, outfitted it. That was really cool and very cute, but all the bikes would be out on the, on the back, on the hitch. And after one month, I would always have to change all the cables and everything because the having the bikes just out in the elements was pretty um, tough on the on the bikes. Wow. So then we switched to have we had this little bowler trailer. It's like a 1976 little trailer, fiberglass trailer that was like really round, but we could put all the bikes in the back of the truck, like covered. And then we had this little um, trailer. But we whenever we would uh, where we'd stay would always be free camping spots and usually really into the rough um dirt roads and this little trailer would bounce around so much that the door stopped fitting properly and sometimes it would just pop open and then all our <laughs> everything on the inside would fly out the door so we had to change we changed that um to um uh yeah my partner he built a uh big it was like an old british um Daff our army truck. Oh yeah, okay. And then built a whole like box on the back. So now this thing is a monster. We had a wood stove inside. We had like a four by garage. We had, like all on this little um travel trailer. But it was so slow. Okay. Okay. <laughs> but yeah, we tried a bunch of a bunch great. of different things um that we tried out living in the winter. I mean, it's amazing. Like talking about things like going off to the Arctic Circle and swimming in the sea. There, that, that's. I mean, clearly you are, I mean, I've met you once before and you know, we, had, we had a good chat on stage at Ruler, which was great, but um, 
you are a bit of an adventurer and explorer. That, that seems to be something that is really important to you as well, that like going out and finding new experiences. Mm-hmm. And where's a place, based on, on your experiences up to this point, where's the place that you've that's hit you in the feels the most, do you think? Where was the place you just thought, wow, this is insane, where you've just sort of undiscovered territory? Where would you love to go back to, to experience that again? Mm. So there's a national park in the States – uh, called Zion National Park, okay. and it's it's near, so kind of near in the Grand Canyon, Bryce Canyon, um, some of these canyon lands, and what you're driving up to it, and you don't even realize what you come into, but you turn a corner, and then you're in this very small little valley that's in between these huge cliff faces. So just like it's like the rocks have just split open. For you and you can go in this lush valley and the but these mountains and the sheer cliff faces they call them the seven apostles they're huge and they're so tall and it's it's gorgeous it's like this little you think you're kind of in a desert farmland and all of a sudden you have this um yeah beautiful canyon so that's it's beautiful and it's surprising every time you go in just um yeah it has that big wow wow factor um and and another and you know there's a lot of places in europe that actually are are really uh interesting to me or have been surprising and one of them was Innsbruck when we went there for world championships um it it reminds me a lot of a little Canadian town Canmore um where it's you know the the city is nestled in between like the big mountains um and you you also get that kind of wow factor um and then you can you know find different routes to to climb up on on either side of the city I I was there I was there for the the world championships and I did find that quite magical especially yeah riding Mm -hmm. I just kept having to stop, on the, especially on the descent on the, the circuit loop. I just kept stopping and taking photos of that of the view with the sunset. Um, mm. And we generally had – the weather wasn't too bad, actually, for the World Chat. I think there was maybe one day of rain, but I remember it. And I've got some amazing photos on my phone, and and there was a, a real uh, – I know there's quite a magical feel, actually, there. I, I know what you mean. It was a pretty special place. I mean, a beautiful city anyway. Mm-hmm. What the people, people were wonderful. But the surrounding landscape was, yeah – Something I've not quite experienced before, so I completely, I completely get you on that one. How did that world go, by the way? Well, that is not my specialty. It's just li- climbing it's, up it's this. It's basically like, a mountain long stage, wasn't it? Yeah. Climb, yeah. <laughs> um, but I, I loved that descent. I had been there um, maybe a, a week or two before before the race, um, just to to ride around and kind of be in the mountains a little bit. Um, so I, I loved that descent, and I. I probably every every climb I got dropped but I would come back on and sometimes you get you get a real buzz feeling when you you know make it back through the cars and then into the group or then you know reassess where you are and and I had done that um yeah for most most of the laps the I remember coming into the circuit we do that um yeah the first big climb and then when um yeah, I'm dropped, but I pass. I'm just through the descent, passing everyone, catching up. I catch up to the second group, but I see our leader there, Carol Ann. And I really, she's a great climber. This is like a great course for her. And I was like, what, what are you doing here? And then I can see the, the bikes on the top of the cars of the, just the group just ahead. And I was like, I think we can make it. And she was, she had already almost given up at that time at that point but it was like well if you can so then i pulled the whole group <laughs> pulled her there to the base of the next climb they connected onto that group and then anyways <laughs> i get dropped again but she went on to have her best world's result ever wow. she you know had the opportunity going for 
um, third or fourth was it maybe uh, I think she came away with sixth or eighth <laughs> I'm trying to remember now but her best result ever um, and what I loved about that whole experience was getting to be the difference maker because you know we we love a winner and we love being a winner but there's so much value or good feelings when you make the, the you make the right call that makes a difference for your teammate to have the best performance that we had had also as a nation up until that point. So, um, yeah, lots of good memories there. Oh, that's, that, that's really cool. It's, um, you're quite right. There's, and that would have been quite an unexpected, an unexpected set of circumstances driven by your ability to descend and then helping to, uh, that's quite unusual. And I didn't expect to end up with, with that, with that anecdote, but just sticking with, actually sticking with the world a little bit. I mean, um, obviously we'll talk about Paribay in, in a little while, but, Clearly, the classics is where your heart is, or classics-based courses, you know, little short climbs, mm-hmm. difficult parkour. Um, but you had a cracking ride in Leuven, didn't you? You were top two, You were sixth in Leuven? Eighth? Sixth. Sixth, sixth, you were yeah. sixth in Leuven. And again, I was there. I mean, <clears throat> just an amazing race and a completely and utterly bonkers atmosphere. But mm-hmm. um, And that was a brilliant ride by yourself. Your, your best world's ride, as far as I'm aware. And what, yeah. what what was that like? Because, um, I mean, it looked like it was amazing to ride. I, I guess some small similarities in, in terms of the, the course design to Glasgow, maybe not quite as technical, but that city centre kind of feel. What was it like mm-hmm. riding on those roads and getting a, your best ever world result there? Yeah, I mean, I, I had come into that race, uh, yeah, really fresh. And and with we had a small team. There was just three of us. Um, but the, the, my other two teammates, Leah Kirchman and Caroline Canuel, I mean, they're, they've been in the sports for so long and they're great riders. But before that day, they were like, Allison, we really think this is a course for you. Like this is your world. And when you have two champions backing you like that, it gave me so much confidence and, and like a, not pressure, but just a a real easy confidence that this was going to be my day. So that's the attitude that I went into it with. And I mean, I love Belgium and have ridden in that area. Um, Canada, you know, has its own um, service course sort of in that area okay. also. Um, so I've been been there often. And um, yeah, the you, there's no better place than Belgium for fans. I mean, uh, the courses, you know, lined with people for every race. Even I remember... Um, I mean, yeah, the world's atmosphere too is just is great. So, um, yeah, and then you, the day you know you want to have great legs on the day you need to perform, and you know it's a tricky business trying to figure out what exactly will will get you with that feeling on the at the right time. Um, but yeah, yeah, I felt felt great, and we the last um, sort of climb, um, I had made it over with the uh, the top. I mean, there's five of us in that in that little group, and then there's a little bit of like cat and mouse um, before we came in, kind of with a with the bigger group. But I mean, it was a it was a great ride for me, and, and it you know gave me a lot of confidence um, going uh, into the next season. Yeah, yeah. I, when I think, well, clearly you've been champion, you know, the champion of Canada before. You actually won a lot more races, and I think when you start drilling back through your career, I mean. It isn't just about Power of Bay. This is almost something that, if you look at the results, there has been a real slow build-up. You've just collected these wins along the way. You're a regular winner, not a prolific one, but you've won some big World Tour races in the past. Say, national champion at Olympia, and that ride in the Worlds. 
So it was all heading in that direction, wasn't it? So it's easy to, the result at Roubaix just wasn't a result out of the blue, really. When, when I've looked back over your career, it clearly was something that was, and even your results earlier in the year, this season, you, you had good form on, on the approach, didn't it? I mean, what do you think made the difference on that day? Was it, what do you think it was? was it just that, all that, the build-up of experience over the years and the fact that you knew you could kind of do it? Or, or what do you think it was reflecting back? How, how, how do you actually see your victory now? Because it's the dust has settled long ago now. And it's something that mm-hmm. you'll cherish forever and arguably will make you, you know, will, will define your career quite possibly because it's such a big event. But, but what, what do right. you think were the, were the key points uh, leading into that win then? Yeah, you know, um, when I started my career, you know, and I always won races. Um, and then, you know, I was, you know, top 30 and then top 20 and, then, you know, top 10. I thought, well, next year you'll win. Yeah. But, you know, cycling isn't linear like that. And it, it's really hard to pull off a win. But every year that's always the 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 goal when we enter into the races. Uh, I think in this, um, yeah, this season, I had started out with some good team performances yep. and had a, a great team to back me um, in, in some of the smaller races. Uh, when we get into the big, you know, world tour one day spring classics, it's much more chaotic and it's a bit harder to kind of, um, yeah, even make sure that teamwork kind of sticks through it. But I think, yeah, you have to be bold to win races. And I think, um, just from analyzing each race that we had done as we kept going in that spring, um, we were just, we just kept missing the mark of when, when things got really hard, um, we weren't able to make it over with the, you know, the top five or, or whatever riders. And we keep ending up in the, you know, a smaller group just behind. Okay. And, you know, if it, if you, the tactic that you're employing isn't working and if you, but you choose to keep using it, well, it's still just not going to work. And so I really had been trying to, you know, tell my teammates that, and, and for a race like Perry roubaix now we had a couple additions to see how it plays out, paying attention a little bit more to the men's race, um, to, to get some clues for our race. Um, and I just, I really had wanted to win uh, a spring classic and I was tired of losing yeah. <laughs> for, for the, the month, the months before. And so I just wanted to do, and, and I was tired of waiting, kind of waiting for the, the moment. And um, so coming into Perry-Ruby, I just wanted to be a part of the action. I wanted to to sort of take hold a bit more of my destiny, if, if you will. Yeah. But also I wanted to have a an entertaining ride or not, not just to wait around and kind of make, you know, make the moment, but, you know, make it make something happen um, for me or for my team. So that was the attitude that I went into it. And that's where, you know, just every race you go into, you, you have your plan. Uh, but you, for me, it's always, you know, that passion to um, the heart that I ride with. Um, and then being able to assess the situation or, or what's happening and adapt what your plan is. Think the so when we came out of the first kind of early circuits um, and just seeing that, you know, this breakaway was going and it had a lot of riders and needing to be in it. Um, yeah, that, that was, I had the awareness and also the, the drive to, to, for my reaction to be yes, instead of wait or reassess, yep. but it was just going to be the action. I'm going to be in it. 
Um, but then, yeah, it's, you know, in the race, it's not all just what I did. Cause it, you know, the, it's always that game. I get to make choices in the situation I am and how play out my tactic, but the group behind also was making their own choices. And, and that really helped out, uh, what we were trying to do in the breakaway. Um, and then, yeah, coming into that final, I mean, I knew like, uh, I was going to be strong. I know I have a good sprint. Um, and, uh, and a better sprint after a longer, harder day. Um, yeah. And so <laughs> once you get there, it really, um, yeah, people have asked me like, oh, like, what were you thinking about in the, in the velodrome? And that's really like, you know, you, you can't think then you just have to ride by in- instinct. Um, don't think just do kind of mentality. And for me, it was really riding with full heart and passion that, you know, how often are you going to get these moments um, and to leave nothing uh, behind so that, that when you finish whatever place that you got, you can just be so proud of that ride. Um, but also really with the eye on the win, because, you know, <laughs> coming into that position, um, you don't get so many op- opportunities to win like this. And so I was going to bleed through my eyeballs, um, do whatever it took to to get over that line first. Yeah, it was it was. How many times have you watched it back? Did you or do you, or, or do you ever sort of cheekily just fire it up on your laptop and have a little look, or is it now just consigned to your memory? I'd imagine you could relive it, you know, in in four K in your mind anyway. But have you, do you ever cheekily just play it back to remind you of how how you nailed it? <laughs> You know what? Um, I don't think I even have to because, you know, sometimes these images keep cropping up in places yeah, yeah. and I'm watching different highlight reels of the year and and stuff. But the, the most special um, rewatch was I got back after the race, um, had done a couple of the races, went to Panama, had come back to Girona and uh, my group of friends and a lot of Canadians, Canadian riders, set up this little party for me right. and uh, we watched uh, the last bits of the, or the race was playing and then when it came to the last 10k we kind of all, all tuned in and watched but what was really impactful for me was watching all my friends re-watch that race so I got to see what it meant to them while they were watching wow. this happen and as a Canadian to win a monument uh, to be the first male or female to to win a monument of something that all of us would dream of doing and also know how hard it is to do something like that. Both uh, my yeah male friend athletes and female friend athletes, um, I'm watching them just um, be so proud of me, but also that, you know, the bigger impact of what the accomplish it was and it really also just helped me soak it in or also realize that you know this win isn't just for me it's for canada it's for other athlete canadian athletes coming up and not just believing and having a hope that they could one day win but seeing that it has happened and that we can do that because for us for a country that's not so steeped in cycling um you know we come into these races a little bit you know as an underdog Um, but now when you get to be the first, it's so much easier to, to follow that up, be the second or the, or the third winner. Um, and so I just see that confidence, um, in younger athlete, athletes too, um, that are racing right now and, and yeah, really excited. Um, yeah, for the future of Canadian athletes. 
That's, that's a big responsibility. I mean, that, that must have been a pretty magical moment, actually. And I, and I didn't expect that that question to lead to the to you discussing having that little watch party. How did it kind of feel for you? Did you get quite emotional? Or was the, was the emotion more seeing your friends react or like reliving it yourself? Because there must have been quite a lot going on in your mind re-watching that. But then to see firsthand, although it had already happened, your friends reacting must have been something I, I wouldn't have thought many people really experienced that. Mm. Yeah. I think that, I mean, even when it was playing, I'm more watching uh, my friends yeah. kind of, you know, relive the emotions. Cause then you hear everyone like, Oh, I thought at this point, like there was no way, or at this point we were just shouting or like, I couldn't watch at this point or, you know, and, and you see, yeah, you get to see, um, yeah, really what it, what it, meant to them to and and also i mean they're so proud of yeah. me and that is that's yeah such a a beautiful feeling yeah that's very cool i mean it was i was actually quite privileged to give you another 15 second commentary at ruler live as well i got quite emotional doing that when 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 we we're on stage together that was to, to sort of call you across <laughs> the line that time but no um it, it enormously enormously important and, and you're quite right um and i think Looking at both the men's and women's sport at the moment, cycling at the moment, and anticipating is, and forgive me, I've mentioned this on numerous conversations, but anticipating and riding a little bit more disruptively and riding in a different way. Rather than cycling traditionally has been a sport where you wait, you wait, especially, you know, it's like, okay, bide your time, you've only got one shot of this and you wait. But increasingly now, if you wait, if you snooze, you lose. You have to be, mm-hmm. you can't be reactive. You have to be proactive all the time. And that is really making the racing across both men's and women's sports now so, so exciting for the fans. Exciting for me as somebody who commentates and I don't really always understand increasingly. I mean, I know the patterns of races, or I thought I did until this season and last season. Mm-hmm. And that's really exciting. And I guess as an athlete who's been around, although you started our sport quite late, You've, you've seen this transition. You've seen the way that the women's side has just gone up, but also the way the racing is becoming more aggressive, slightly more unpredictable, but it does reward the brave a little bit. And do you find that that change quite exciting, quite invigorating? Absolutely. I mean, when we look at, you know, the, the last Olympics and how that was won. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I think that that really stirred up for a lot of female athletes, the belief that the breakaway can win. Yeah. And I think what we see in women's cycling now too, is there's such a, there's a, a deeper depth of athletes that are strong, yeah. that could win races. There's still a top level of when it gets really hard that they, they're going to make it. And, and, you know, those are consistent, you know, few five or eight. Yeah. Um, but the playing the breakaway role and, and also in women's cycling, as it's growing and developing, we're becoming a bit, more with the team focus and that those tactics play a role before um and it was kind of on the cusp of when i started cycling um 2014 2013 14 um there was a lot of athletes that could win everything so mariana Vosch, she could win the giro but she could win all the one day classes she could win a sprint stage um and now we're having more specificity in these areas it's not just a a one kind of all-around person and now we really need the help of teammates in order to get those big wins because the level is just getting better and better. But now we also have to, we don't have, uh, as a women's peloton, we don't have the experience of, you know, 
timing the breakaway, how long do we leave it out so that we can catch and make yeah. the win. So some of that is still we're developing or figuring out what it what it takes to manage a break breakaway. Um but yeah in, in twenty twenty one um also the I won uh the C Mac ladies to or the stage one uh because I went I was in a solo break from 100k to go was joined by two others but we stayed away um enough that I took all the jerseys the leaders jersey whatever on that first day but I think in that year there was quite a few breakaways that really held it to the line um and I think it was because you know from the Olympics we when you see an underdog win and then I th- I think almost every athlete thought oh that could have been me yeah it gives people, gives people hope doesn't choice. it gives hope and belief to people that- yeah you can actually pull this off. We don't need to always race defensively and be on our guard. Although some, of course, energy preservation is is, is important. But in terms of aggressive yeah. tactics, it is quite inspiring. And I think you, it's like when you first do, back in the early days when, when you race and you get in your first move, I used to encourage riders to just try something. And what's the worst that you, the worst yeah. that can happen is you're going to get dropped, but at least you've made your mark. And it's the only way to fully understand yeah. yourself is to be aggressive totally. to, and to, and to, and and I guess as one of the more experienced riders in your team, is that something that you are passing on to the younger riders? Is that do you? How much of a role do you do you play in the team in terms of a captain? Is, is my is my question, especially in relation to the, your your DSs and stuff. How does that work? And do you see um, because of the wins, because of the experience that you've got, um, do you see more of a a tactical role for yourself in the coming years? Not to diminish your your, your physical ability, but do you, do you think you have more? You could have more of an impact in making big shots, decision-making and how the races are going to go from a team perspective? Yeah, totally. And I think that's always been a, you know, a strong skill set of mine, even when starting. And I think because I was always interested in, I really wanted to win. And in order to win, you have to think about things in different ways to try different things to figure it out. Yeah. And I, I love that part about cycling um, that also sometimes it's not the strongest that wins, but the smartest or how you use your energy. And and this game just gets me so riled up. So I, and I think um, in decision-making in in the race, I I can have a calm head. And so that has helped out um, my teammates in different leadership roles. Um, And, you know, I also in from Perrier Bay, um, because I, I had kept, you know, trying to preach to the team that, you know, we got to be earlier and be bold. And sometimes, you know, um, and and I think now as t- more we're more professional team, um, you can have athletes that try something, and in we can see because of TV coverage and and whatever we can see that they're setting up the race in a in a good way, and that will earn them a contract in the next year. Sure. Earlier in my career, really, it was you had to be the winner to to kind of maintain your contract or have a livable wage or or whatever. And so I think that now the racing will change a little bit because we we understand that the domestic role or kind of these um, players that set up the race are really important to team success, and that will continue getting people's. Um, athletes getting jobs so i think that also helps um kind of the bold racing um yeah and i think now after winning and winning in the way that i did i think now when i say the same thing that i've been saying for years (laughs) but now they're gonna be yeah there's belief in it they're like okay you're right it did happen it does work or 
I, I will be willing to try. Okay, fantastic. Well, we're blimey, we're quite a way in already. Um, <coughs> now, uh, you you were brought up, weren't you, in uh, in and around Vermilion? Is that right? Okay. Yeah. Uh, Small little town in Alberta. Yeah, I think about four and a half thousand population, something like that. Yeah. Give or take. I've been, I've been doing my research, Alison. Um, yeah. It's more animals than people. More animals than people. I wish that was going to be one of my questions. Yeah. But Alison, I don't think I really tipped you off about this. But next up on the podcast, it's the Vermilion Quiz. Yo, yo. Okay. You all ready? Uh, uh, Let's do it. Uh, uh, turn off your phone. That's right. Get your thinking cap on. Yeah, yeah. It's time. <laughs> what time? Time for the... the million quiz. There we go. So, <laughs> well, I thought we, wow. we couldn't not do this pod without you doing a little dance and we had a jingle. So this is the Vermilion Quiz, um, a quiz that I pulled together, uh, toiled earlier today. Um, I've got four questions for you, um, loosely based around your hometown, okay? Now, okay. don't stress too much because the questions are multiple choice. So if you don't know the answer, you can give it a healthy guess, okay? Are you, are you a fan of quizzes, Alison? I love, you love a good quiz. any games. Anything I can win, I'm in. And, okay, anything you can win, you're in. Okay, I, I like your attitude. So, right. Um, so there's four questions. Let's kick things off. Actually, we're going to kick things off with question two because I'm going to leave question one till the end for some reason. Um, so this is question one, though. So question one, multiple choice. Here we go. What was the first ever local newspaper to be published in Vermilion? Okay, the first ever newspaper. Do you know already? I, I am confident that it's going to be the Vermilion Standard. It is the Vermilion... Well, I tell you what, I'm going to give you the choices. A, the Vermilion Herald. B, the Vermilion Star. C, the Vermilion Signal. Hmm. Or D, the Vermilion and Area Voice. Oh, wow. Ah. Um, well, the Vermilion and Area Voice is a newspaper that was much later. Yep. Um, growing up, it was always the Vermilion Standard. That was the standard. Um, so I imagine for old school country name, it maybe is the Vermilion Herald. It's the signal. It's the signal. It's the signal. But, <laughs> but yeah, the, the 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 standard was actually so it was 1905 and 1906. The signal that was the first, mm. and then the standard was 1909. Mm. Um, so mm. there we go. Actually, I don't think there's a Vermilion Herald because um, I made that one up. But I just like the word Herald. Um, but anyway, so yeah, it sounds like a news. So, so, so don't worry. It's early days, um, and there will be an opportunity, very much like on Who Wants to Be a Millionaire, of taking a bit of a choice. I'll take two answers out later down the line just so we can build up your point score, but don't worry. Um, but okay. you've missed the early break is what I'm trying to say. So got a little bit of work to do. Okay, so gotta catch question up. two, I need to, do you, know, do you know what? This is embarrassing. It, it's really, it's only what, like half past three in the UK, but it's dark. It's just crazy. So I'm now, because my eyesight's failing, Alison, having to get onto my phone, get my torch on so I can shine it on my notepad. So this <laughs> Really embarrassing. Okay. Right. Oh, this is a good one. Vermilion Provincial Park contains a wide variety of wildlife. Okay. Including a creature called the Spague Pit Pipit. What type of creature is the Spague 
Pipit. So Vermilion Provincial Park, a beautiful uh, natural park that was established in 1950, mm-hmm. actually. That's not even written down. I committed that to my mind. Um, contains a variety of animals, including the Spague Pipit. What type of creature is it? Is it A, a rare type of northern pike? So that's a fish, a rare type of northern pike type of fish. A small, is it a B, B, a small songbird? Is it C, a type of ground squirrel? Or is it is it a freshwater minnow? So a northern pike, a small songbird, a type of ground squirrel, or a freshwater minnow? What is the spague pipit? Now, you can do your... Th- wow. you, 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 I can take away two of those answers, or you can just go all in. Um, that, I'll leave that to you. Okay. Um, in the, the Vermilion Provincial Park, there is a couple of bird-watching spots. Um, and in those bird-watching spots, they actually have a bunch of boards that you can look at um, which you know bird can you see uh, if you can see one um, so I would like I'm, I'm leaning towards the, a bird variety <laughs> I, I actually <laughs> if there is different types of minnows that is interesting <laughs> and I would not have known that <laughs> right. um, but there is the river the river valley there um, that uh, actually I don't know if people fish in anymore we have like a little trout pond that's in the park that people will We'll fish in. Um, so um, I'm, I'm leaning towards the bird. You're going to go the, the small songbird. Yep. It's correct. Well done. Very good. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> okay, great Thank stuff. You. Good. That, I mean, I, 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 what I do like in these quizzes is when is when people actually give them their thought process rather than going because this think it provides. Yeah. Uh, and so you've thought about that. Well done. But. Um, I think the, there are some freshwater minnows in in the park, but they've got no special names. They're just called freshwater minnows. I mean, there is a great little link on Wikipedia too, uh, and gives you all the animals there. There's deer, uh, there's beavers, uh, porcupines, yep. all sorts of creatures. So, uh, folks, if you're listening, get your down, get yourselves down uh, to the Vermilion Provincial Park. Is is what I'm saying? Right. Yep. Question three. There's also oh. top level, world class trail trail system for cross-country skiing yes uh down in that park and do you know what else there is um and five kilometer what? track for rollerblading as well Th- there is <laughs> yep that's true <laughs> <laughs> nice paved paved big lap indeed yep. indeed so do you did you used to hang out there as a kid much or is it, is it, it sounds like a beautiful place actually yeah um well we um so they have this old train station there that with like a caboose <laughs> that we used to always play on <laughs> that was like the cool thing when i was really young uh and then otherwise uh, more so in my later life then i would go there and do tons of trail running or cross-country okay. skiing um or berry picking it's lots of um saskatoon bushes okay it's a great kind of blue it's a blue berry on a on a tree uh, it's a little more tart than a blueberry, I guess. And then uh, you always try to go to see if you can spot a beaver because there's always a trail because okay. beavers need to chew down trees yeah. um, in order to maintain their teeth. <laughs> and so there will always be broken branches and, and trees that are are 
like little pencils uh, all over the place. Cool. My, my wife's a big fan of otters and beavers. And every now and again, she's like, mm. she saves a load of like Instagram posts about otters and beavers. And we just sit there in bed looking at otters and beavers. You know, it's just what we do. <laughs> but they are cute. They are very, very cute indeed. So, yeah. um, okay. So that's, um, you've got two questions. No, one question, right, haven't you? Yeah. Okay. So question yeah. three. Okay. So is this, who is the current mayor or mayoress of Vermillion? Okay. So who is the current mayor or mayoress of Vermillion? Is it A, a chap called Ernie Kelly? Is it B, a lady called Mary Dupont? Is it C, Gregory Thrunson? Or is it D, Nadia Kirkman? So um, the mayor before this one was actually uh, a family friend. Uh, wow, okay. that we grew up with. Wow. <laughs> Carolyn McCauley. Okay. Yep. And I was really happy that we, she was a family friend of ours because I really wanted um, a street named after me. <laughs> because... <laughs> okay. All right. How much? Okay. Here we you go. Know, we, we, all, we all have career goals and uh, <laughs> this is one of mine. And it's because uh, Becky Scott, who is a, she's a gold medalist, cross country athlete from my town. Yep. And she has a, a street um the becky scott trail and it's named after her so i always figured if i could be a great sporting hero win something big yeah. like perry yeah, Rubé, yeah. um maybe there would be could be a street named after me and then i thought this was great i knew who the mayor was we could push for this to happen but she's no longer the mayor so now it's been a year with a new male uh as the mayor um um, so that already winds it down to two, mm. but I, what are the names again? An Ernie or a... Ernie Kelly. Sorry, Ernie, Ke Ernie Kelly, uh, Kenny, sorry. Ernie Kenny or Gregory Thrunson or Thrunson. Mm. Now, because I know quite possibly both of these guys listen to our podcast regularly. And if you want a street named after right. you, you're going to, we might have to be careful in the edit. So whatever you say, <laughs> it looks like you get it right. Yeah. So is it Ernie or Greg? <laughs> <laughs> um, Ernie really sounds like a, a Vermilion farmer guy name, um, but but this guy's not a farmer. He's he's from in town, so could be Gregory. I'm gonna I'm gonna go with Gregory. It's I'm correct. Go it's correct. Ernie. It's correct. Well done. <laughs> Brilliant. Those pauses, I can't handle. <laughs> oh, no, no. You've got to pause for effect just to kind of, yeah. Oh, so great. Great process of elimination. Um, now, Ernie Kenny, let's just get on to the website a minute because this is where I had some fun. <laughs> Ernie Kenny was a former NHL player who was born in 1907 and passed away in 1970. So he is a Canadian. Um, and the other two people, I just looked at Canadian cyclists and put different names together. So I just got surnames and first names and bolted them together. So Nadia Kirkman, I think, is a combination of two Canadian female cyclists. <laughs> so, so I think it's Leah Kirkman's surname, actually, is what I got that one from. Yeah. But, um, but no, so great stuff. So you've got two um, out of three so far with one final question, okay? But, um, but well done. And also, we should 
Well, off the back of this, we should start a campaign to get a street named after you. Canadian champion, Olymp- Olympic rider as well, um, Paris Bay yeah. winner. We need to get that sorted. So uh, let, let's yeah. keep in touch. Yeah, there we go. The crowd are, the crowd are loving that. No, no. I mean, th- these guys, is, uh, there's several Canadians in the audience. So they're, oh, guys. Oh, well, sorry. They're just oh, they brought the absolutely going wild here. Guys. Whoops. I mean, we've never had an atmosphere like it in the studio. Guys, man, these guys love you. Right. They're on your side. They are on your side. Okay. Wow. We have to get security in there. Okay. Um, so, final question. If you get this one right, you've got a, a pretty high score, 75%. Okay. This is a Tim Hortons-based question. Um, weirdly, um, okay. I think you, Great yeah, you've got... How many Tim? The question isn't this, but how many Tim Hortons are there in Vermilion? Is it just one? Because it's only a small town. There's only, yeah, only one, and we we got it actually just recently. Maybe it's been there. Maybe it's been there five years or something. Okay. okay. Um, yeah. We actually have one. But we do have one. Um, in my hometown of Dar of Derby, which is in Derbyshire, not far from Nottingham, we've got a Tim Hortons on the retail park as well. And and me and my wife went there last Christmas, and we had some of those Tim's bits with a coffee. Uh, Timbits. Yeah, well, it was, it was yeah. quite nice. We sat there. Um, yeah. So, anyway, so my question to you, I'm a big fan of Baileys, you know, the, the liqueur. I just love Baileys. Okay. Yep. So my question to you is, what is the price at the Tim Hortons where you live? So it's this branch specific on the menu. What is the yep. price of a Baileys latte at Tim Hortons? Okay. And the address is 4306 52nd Street in Vermilion. Okay. So it's that one. What is the price of a new drink? I think it's a seasonal coffee called a Bailey's mm. Latte. Is it A, $4.29, B, $4.39, C, $4.49, or D, $4.59? What is the price of a Bailey's Latte? It's just one size. What are you feeling? Firstly, wow. firstly, would you order um, one? Would you? Are you a fan of Bailey's, or you're not be that bothered, or would you? Would you give one a whirl? <laughs> I I don't think so. Okay. No, but you know, maybe if we don't get if we don't get the street name um, for Allison Jackson, maybe we maybe we could get a Tim Hortons drink to Allison's latte. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, so that'll be flipping. Hell. I mean, we give him a big shout out, and a few people listen to this pod. So there's basically you know, there's an ad right there. Okay, before you, I, I ask the you get the answer. If there was an Alison Jackson latte at Tim Hortons, um, mm. what would be what would be what would be your signature blend? What, what would it be? What would the coffee be like? Or would there be a, a certain kind of um, what would you add to it? For example, what syrup would there be in there? Yeah, no, it's, it's interesting because, you know, anywhere else I would say, oh, we're going to put maple in it. Um, but they already likely do have a, a maple latte. And, and also that doesn't connect just with me. That connects with any Canadian. Um, yeah, that would would be interesting. We, maybe we would, okay, we'd have to develop something where it, the latte would have a like a cool color. So now it's, okay. it's going to be like a fun sort of festive, festive something. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, so that's all. That's all I've got so far. <laughs> to work in pro, you can't. Alison, if they get to work with Tim Hortons, they don't rush things. That over there at Tim Hortons HQ, uh, they're, they're they're people who, who think. 
you know so yeah right so i need to get you and develop they develop and, and, it's a process and invent. yeah you can't yeah you can't rush that sort of thing so keep that on the back burner next time we chat maybe you can give me an update and we'll just pitch it to tim's you know um great so back to the quiz 429, yes. 439, 449, or 459 for a Bailey's latte at Tim Hortons. Yeah, so it is a, it would be one of their special ones. So we're, they're going to be able to charge a little bit more because it's probably a limited edition yep. or, or whatever. Um, and, and also, what size are we talking? If there's only one size on the menu. Oh, wow. Yeah, because normally Great. there's like a small, medium. So, and I, so I clicked on the menu page to beverages and it just gave. What, okay. Yeah, one size. So it's the only one on the menu. Great, great. Um, I like the I like in, in when I visualize the price point. Yeah. <laughs> I like that it, a four forty nine. Um, it's uh, you know the the double fours in there. I, I like that. Um, you know, but I I'm, I'm feeling like it's going to be a little bit more than that actually. So. So that's that's going to be my guess. The the four fifty nine. I mean, yeah. Is that your final answer? I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to roll with okay. that. Yeah. It's not great. It's four fourteen on the one that you like. The shape of the oh. feel of is the answer. It's it's oh, oh I'm so sorry. You gotta. I know. You know. I gotta go with my. I I know that my instincts are right. Yeah. You know. I should. Remind myself back to Peru Bay days. Instincts are right. Four forty nine. All right. Yeah. So I'm, do you know what I'm going to do? Because I'm going to. I'm going to. Let me just speak to my producer just briefly. Now, can we just? Can we give half a point for that? We can give half a point for that. We can. That was the official. Great. So that actually wasn't no. That was our, <laughs> we have an official quiz adjudicator uh, that that flies in for this. Um, at quite great expense actually, and they have awarded you half a point, which means. You scored a grand total of two and a half points out of four, which isn't a a. It, it's a it's a solid solid score. Let's have a round of applause for Alison Jackson, guys. Thank you. Thank two you. and a half. Thank you. Out of four, that's a pretty, pretty decent score. Half a point there for and and again, everybody at home, go with your gut reaction. That's the one that generally that's go right. with it. But we totally again. But um, oh, wonderful. That's a pretty decent score. And um. Keep us posted on the road name, um, but also, I guess, go imagine, imagine Olympics. I mean, you've, you've done Olympics before, 2024. You've got to be thinking about, well, the next thing, before we mm-hmm. kind of wrap things up, this has gone very, very quickly, which is wonderful. But what does 24, 2024 look like for you um, in terms of big ambitions? I guess, obviously, going back to Roubaix, the, the Cobble Classics, but... Mm-hmm. What else are you really looking forward to getting your teeth into and have targeted for, for 2024, Alison? Yeah, no, it, it's great. Always this time of year, you have the conversations with the team looking at the calendar and I get so jazzed up. I, I all this kind of dreaming big um, and, you know, potential. You start start the year with all the hope in the world and, and I'm pretty excited. I'm really excited with the group and the, and the structure of the team. Um, and the support, we have a lot of experienced riders on the team, and, and I'm excited to take that group into the classics. Um, and yeah, the goal is always to win a big classic. For me, it's I usually need help from the team to help me filter through um, all my yeses because yeah. I will say I want to race everything and I want to win everything. It just you know I love the I love being in the races. Yeah. I love racing. Um, 
but it, I'm really looking forward to Perry Roubaix to be able to wear the number one. Um, I don't feel like it's going to, I know that when I go to that race, I'm going to have to win it in a different way. Yeah. I won't win it the way that I, I did in, in years previous. I doubt that there will be a break that gets up the road. So now it's, you know, to be creative and choose, choose the, the next moment, um, or what I'm going to make my moment. Uh, and Perry Roubaix, you have to go in with such a relaxed mindset. Um, because there's so much that you can't control. Yeah. So you got to just make the, you know, each scenario that comes up, you, you make, um, decisions and, uh, and then, and, and play the, the play out the storyline through that. I'm looking forward to that. I really, I love being Canadian national champion. I have a couple other Canadians on the team. So there'll be three of us that will go to the, the national championships out in Quebec. Um, and just looking forward to, to keeping the Jersey within the team. Um, and then, yeah, you know, as a Canadian growing up as a kid, I want, I loved sport and I always dreamed of being an Olympian before I dreamed of being a cyclist or any, anything else. I I just would dream of, of being on that podium for whatever sport. If someone told me I could be, you know, Olympic gold medals, hockey player, I had all the makeup for it, the right body type or whatever. I would have said, all right, sign me up. Um, I'll do all the training for it. I just love games and playing and uh, the Olympics. So I would love to, to really try to arrive at a full form and, and the team is, is really supporting me and I'm trying to make that happen. Um, so, so we'll see. I mean, in sport, anything can happen, and and you you got to be able to to do the right build up, but roll with whatever happens. So, that would be a big goal. And then, um, you know, I loved riding the the tour, yeah. the Tour de France Femmes this year, and the the crowds are amazing. Um, the the race course this year that has a, a few more classic style races Especially up the in the first, Netherlands the first and Belgium. Kind of four stages, four or five mm-hmm. stages, in fact, before it gets to the high mountains. Really, I was that was going to be another one of my questions. That you've got to that first half of the race looks right up mm-hmm. Alison Jackson's alley. It really does. There's there's some interesting opportunities there for you. Quite excited about that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I am. Yeah, and and also I'm really excited to race uh, up the Alpe d'Huez. I, you know, it's it's really cool getting to be a part of so many of these, you know, firsts yeah. for women cycling. Um, and uh, so it, it'll be really fun to have that have that in the race and and get to race up it. Fantastic, fantastic. So what what does Christmas going to look like for you then? What what are you? Is it will it be in Girona or will it be home or? I'll be back in. The dear sweet town of Vermilion, Alberta, that we know so much about now. <laughs> uh, if they still have the Bailey's latte, I'm going in there, counted my change already because I know exactly how much exactly. that will cost. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, there'll be um, you know some snow plowing um, and so, some cross country skiing. We've actually um, my my dad and my brother in law have have flattened out so we would you know in the winter we'll we'll do some pond hockey um, pond hockey pond will oh. freeze over okay and we'll skate on over and and usually it's pretty bumpy there's going to be reeds in the in the ground and <laughs> the, you you'll fall over and your skates get really dull from from riding on this kind of ice but this year they flattened out <laughs> and widened out the pond so they can flood it to be like a real rink sized piece of ice oh, wow. so and it's going to be the smoothest 
outdoor rink um, pond hockey that, that we've had. Um, my nephews have gotten really gotten into hockey. Um, so when I'm back in Girona, I got to get on the rollerblades, basically keep up my skills. So when I get over um, for the, the Christmas tournament, if you will, I got to make sure that I can still uh, have a good shot at, at taking home the trophy. You know? Well, what was it pretty, so basically, uh, that, and this is on the farm where you were brought up, the bison farm, isn't it? So yeah. uh, great stuff. Yeah. I, I'm trying to imagine it like Christmas pond skiing on a, on a bison farm, Alison Jackson training on rollerblades in Spain. The whole thing's just with, with, a, with a Bailey's <laughs> yeah. latte and maybe some negotiations Correct. going on in the background in relation to a street being named after you. There's a lot to think about going into the winter yes. and into 2024, Alison. Um, it's, yep. been, it's been an absolute pleasure chatting to you. Um, thanks very much for your time. And um, yeah, Cheers. keep keep in touch and have it. Well, we, our, our paths will cross into, in 2024 without a shadow of a doubt, but um, Absolutely. I know people are going to enjoy this chat. I certainly have. And I'll catch up with you soon. Thank you. Thanks, Matt. And thanks to everyone that came out to this live show. Yeah, thanks, guys. Because hear the audience again. These guys. These guys. Yeah. These guys. Absolute. No, thank you. What I do, I do it for you. Yeah. And you. They've been a... These guys. Give yourselves a... Oh. I'll tell you what. Travel from far. Oh. Wow. Far and wide. Oh, great, great stuff. Cheers. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Alison. <laughs> Amazing stuff. That was a lot of fun. I hope you enjoyed listening to it as much as we did recording it. Thanks, Alison, and all the very best for 2024. This podcast was produced by Noel Gaffney on behalf of Hot Chili. Thanks to Perry Apgwyneth for the podcast theme tune, and thanks to you for listening. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and rate the pod. And want to recommend it to a family of would-be pond hockey players in Alberta, Canada that fancies a shot at playing against the Jacksons in a one-off Christmas grudge match. Winner gets a street named after them. Cheers all, stay safe and goodbye. <laughs>